0: Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 52. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed at those who followed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more,
1: Go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Good morning. Hey, so if you're uh, if you're here this morning, that means you're a survivor, right? Because that means that you have not been ravaged by the cold or the hand, foot, mouth disease that has been like sweeping our church and our community. Like, how many people have know someone like in your household or in your network who's like had a hand, foot, mouth disease or like a cold, like in the last? few weeks. It's crazy. I didn't even know what half a mouth disease um, was until like a few months ago when Ford got it. Um, and and now I feel like everyone I know has had it like in the last month or month or two. Um, with that note, uh, let's pray. <laughs> uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, just for this time that we have as, as, um, uh, as your people to gather, to learn from your word, to sing songs uh, about you um, we, we pray uh, for our church family, especially for those who are sick and need healing. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just be with them, uh, give them peace, give them healing. Uh, we pray for um, Joe, our worship leader, and for Oscar and Kelly, who are, are, are serving with other uh, ministries um, this morning. And, and just pray, God, that you would see uh, fruit uh, from, from, from their service uh, in ways that just bring you glory and lift up the name of Jesus. Uh, I'm gonna. We have, we have a kind of a big chunk of text to get through, so I'll go ahead and get started. If you want to, uh, if you do have a Bible, read with me in, uh, in Mark chapter 10. And I'll start us beginning in verse 32, which says. And they, uh, this is speaking of Jesus and his disciples, it says they were on the road. They were going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. He was walking ahead of his disciples. And it says they were amazed. Now, really quick, the reason they were amazed uh, was they were amazed by Jesus' devotion and his determination in light of what he already told them. He already told them that he was going to suffer and die, uh, and that was just going to that that was going to happen soon, like in the coming weeks. And, and so they're just amazed that, in light of that, that he's still pressing forward, that he's still continuing on mission. And then it says, "Those who who followed were afraid." And then taking the twelve again, uh, that's his twelve disciples. Jesus began to tell them what was to happen to him. And he said to them again, he said, "See." We are going up now to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. He's speaking of himself in the third person. And then verse 34, he says, They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So, here Jesus just described his death right? In in, in its fullness. He describes his death with the betrayal, the injustice, the cross, the shame, and so on. But then he says he's going to rise again. He's going to yet rise again. And what we're learning at this point is that Jesus came with the power to deal with our deepest needs, right? Jesus came to deal with the power, uh, or or he, he came with the power to deal with our deepest needs, Throughout the Gospel of Mark, as we've been walking through it this year, like we, we, we've seen that uh, everyone in all the characters in this narrative, they don't know who Jesus really is, right? They don't, they don't really have a true sense of who he is and what he came to do. Uh, and really, that's like us today. like We have our own assumptions of who we think Jesus is and what it is that he came to do for us. And so for the whole first half of the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus is showing them that he is God in the flesh, that he's king, that he is the God with power. But then and now in this second half of Gospel of Mark, which we're in right now, uh, Jesus is showing that, that he's a certain kind of king. He's a king who goes to a cross in order to save sinners like you and me. And so in today's passage, Jesus himself is asking this question now to his disciples. You'll you'll see in a moment, he asked them the question, what is it that you want me to do for you? He's going to ask that question twice in this passage. He's going to say, what is it that you, what do you want me to do for you? And in some sense, by reading this passage, he's asking us that same question today. He asks that question not because he's some cosmic genie here to grant our every wish by his command, but because he wants to reveal something in the way that we answer that question. Does that make sense? He asks this question. He says, what is it you want me to do for you? Because the way that we answer that will reveal something about us. The way that you respond to that question, what do you want Jesus to do for you, will draw out your true desires. And reveal your true understanding of who He is, and so let's start with that question this morning: What is the one thing that you want Jesus to do for you? When you think of who Jesus is, what are the deepest things that you want Him to satisfy? What do you want Him to do for you? And so, as we dig into this text, I want you to see that if, if I want you to see and consider if your sense of need, how you answer that question. If your sense of need lines up with how Jesus sees your need, that's what I want you to consider. So three things, three needs that Jesus satisfies for us that we're going to look through. First is the need for us to be reoriented. Secondly, the need to be, to be ransomed or redeemed. And third, our need to be sort of restored. So first, we're going to look at our need to be reoriented, then our need to be ransomed, and then our need to be restored. And so let's look at that first one, our need to be reoriented. Our need to be reoriented. Now, the disciples of Jesus, they had a selfish ambition that we're going to see in a moment that needed to be sort of reoriented. Re- read about it in beginning in verse 35 with me. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him. They came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, this is nuts, right? This is nuts. Like Jesus literally just unpacked again that he would be betrayed, flogged, spit on, delivered to hang on a cross. And then James and John, who were part of Jesus's like inner, inner circle, like, Peter, James, and John were, like, Jesus' best friends. So two of those guys come up to Jesus when he's by himself, and they say, Hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Pretty bold move when you're talking to the Son of God, right? Pretty bold move. Now, like, my daughter, she, she does this thing. Like, she does this thing right now where, where when she asks for something, she, she's four years old if you don't know her, um, so my four-year-old daughter, when she asks for something, like, if I don't say yes right away, and she immediately goes, dad, don't say no, right? <laughs> like, don't say no. She, like, she demands, I mean, she's four. She wants a yes to everything, which makes, which again, makes sense because she's, she's four. These are grown dudes, right? These are grown-up men asking God in the flesh to write them a blank check to do whatever they want. And you know what's crazy? What's crazy is that instead of Jesus, the creator, smacking them upside their creaturely heads, he actually entertains the question. He actually entertains the question. It says in verse 36 that he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? That's how he responds. And, And you know what this is? You know what's happening here? This is a remarkable picture of the patience of Jesus. This is a remarkable picture of his patient mercy and grace. He patiently presses in because his desire is to reorient them. Not to smack them on the head, but he wants to reorient them. He wants to teach them. They called him teacher and he's taking this moment to actually teach them with patience. You see, basically, these disciples, what they want is they want first dibs on the thrones next to Jesus, right? They say they're expecting that Jesus in his glory. They're expecting Jesus, like when they think of Jesus, they're they're expecting Jesus to be sort of like this kingly warrior, right? They don't see him so much as a suffering servant, but as a kingly warrior. And so they say, hey, Jesus, when this thing is over, when this whole thing blows over, when you rise, when you're the great victor, we want the best seats. We want the seats next to your throne. And the huge irony with that, that demand is that this is the exact opposite of how it should be. You see, when we speak to God, like when we speak to God in prayer today, when we speak to God the way that they are in Jesus, when we approach his throne, we should be moved from self-seeking to self-giving. That's what the presence of God does for us. It reorients us away from thinking about ourselves to giving of ourselves. But see, these disciples, they only had one question on their mind. Their question was, what do I get out of this? Jesus, all right, you're going to be betrayed. Like A lot of nasty things are going to happen to you. You're going to rise from the grave. But when that happens, what do I get out of it? I want the best seat next to your throne. That's the question they're asking. The one question on their mind is, what do I get out of this? After he dies and rises to victory, they want to know, what do I get out of this? And this is the default human posture to ask, what do I get out of this? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here wondering what you get out of this whole Jesus thing. You're considering this maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. And your default posture is your one question is, what is it that I'm going to get out of this? Now, the issue with that, the issue with James and John, isn't that they wanted to get something out of Jesus, but that they wanted to get the wrong thing. You see, it's not entirely wrong to come to Jesus for your needs, as long as you allow him to speak into whether those needs are good or not. He's the source of all that is true, all that is good, and all that is beautiful. And so we come to Him with our needs, but we need to be humble enough to say, let Him speak into whether or not we're actually yearning for and desiring for the right things. You see, their problem was that their ambition, wasn't that their ambition was too high, but actually their ambition was too low. They were thinking of themselves rather than of God and His glory. They were thinking of themselves rather than the glory of God and the good of others. And so they needed to be reoriented. They needed their thinking to be sort of rewired. They needed their hearts to be reformed, reshaped, softened. Jesus needed them to see that the way of following Him is not always peachy it's not always great many times the way of jesus actually includes suffering but it's not but for them like it wasn't about suffering for the service of others you see that, that that's that's what that's what the way of jesus is the way of jesus isn't always peachy sometimes it includes suffering but it's a kind of suffering that's in the service of others Like, if you only stick with Christ and His church when things are going well, then you do not understand the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't understand the mission of Jesus. And that was the disciples. That was the the boat that they were in. They didn't get it. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't get the mission. That's why in verse 37, they're asking for the best seats in His cabinet. It's not just nice cushions that they're after. It's thrones. But in that day and age, that kind of position was only received. It wasn't, there was no democracy back then, right? In that day and age, the only way that that kind of position was received was through power and authority. And that's why Jesus says in verse 42, he says to them, he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And he's basically saying those out there in the world, they, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their, great, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now, in this verse, he's not saying that power and authority is bad, necessarily. He just wants to reorient the way that they think about power. He wants to reorient the way they think about authority. He wants to give them a different lens to look through. You know, we we, we see this need in our Western culture today, right? Like some of us are so obsessed with reaching sort of a certain level in the marketplace or the workplace or maybe even in the church just for the sake of the position in and of itself, right? Like you have this working assumption that your identity and who you are will only mean something if you reach like this certain level of prestige. But Jesus here, he reorients them. He reorients his disciples from that old way of thinking in in, in these next verses. He says, read read verse 43 with me. He says, you know, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, he says, they lorded over people. But then in verse 43, he says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is telling us here that true happiness, true purpose is not found in attaining, but in giving. It's not found in the self, the glory of self, but in the glory of God and others. You see, Jesus right here, he is flipping their thinking on its head. He says, look, if you are only about a position, just merely a position, he's not knocking high positions. God has used people in high positions throughout the scriptures, but he says if that's the only thing you're after, if you are only about a position, then you will end up using people like the the rulers of the Gentiles do. However, Jesus says, if you're about love, then you will serve others the way that Jesus does. You see, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down His rights. He laid aside His privilege in order to serve others. He's saying to them, stop thinking like rulers and start thinking like servants. Because true leadership, lasting leadership, a good legacy of leadership is ultimately servant leadership. Go go back up to, to verse 38 with me. Jesus tells him, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are, yes, we are able. Now, you're probably wondering, what is with the cup and the baptism? Well, the cup and, and the baptism, they're, they're metaphors here of Jesus' suffering. They're G- metaphors of Jesus' suffering. So, like, uh, you know, you, you may have heard the metaphor a lot, right? Like, like, like uh, it, it, when things are going bad and, and people, someone says, like, ah, oh, this, this is the lot that I was given, right? Like, like back then, you would also say, like, this is the cup that I was given, right? And so he's saying, Jesus had j- just talked to them about the cross, about what he would have to go through, about the betrayal. And he's asking them, he's like, do you know what you're asking? Are you, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? In other words, are you willing to get betrayed and forgotten and spit on the way that, that I'm going to be? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm to be baptized? He's saying, will you drink the cup of death that I've been foretelling about? Will you go down into suffering and death for me, for the service of others? Now they respond, yes, we're able. They're like, yeah we, yeah, we can do that, no problem. But you know what happened, right? At the moment of his death, these guys, they abandoned him. They were nowhere to be found. You see, but here, in this moment, they don't really understand the weight of what he's saying. It's like, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you sign like a waiver, right, or you download this new app, and it's like, oh, we've updated our terms of service, right? And this thing pops up, and it's like 20 pages around, long like who here actually reads that right like like you always check the box like yes yeah, so i agree to the terms of service sure like i even though i don't quite get them right like that's kind of what the disciples are doing here it's like jesus is telling them look are you gonna drink are you willing to drink the cup that i drink to go through the baptism of death that i'm i'm, I'm about to be baptized in and they're like yeah we think we get it yeah we're we're, we're in right But then Jesus said to them, no, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am to be baptized, you will be baptized. That's him saying like, look, if you don't get this, like you need to because this is going to happen to you. Incidentally, every single one of Jesus' disciples would eventually get martyred for their faith. The reason that the church spread so rapidly in the first century because of how these guys were willing to, to, to lose their lives because of what they confessed about Jesus. He says in verse 40, he says, If you want to sit at my right hand or my left, it is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has, for whom it has been prepared. Now, what Jesus is doing is he is redirecting them, reorienting them, from a posture of comfort to one of sacrifice. From comfort to sacrifice, and we need that. That is one of our deepest needs that Jesus satisfies. He reorients us from comfort to sacrifice because so many of the decisions that we make are driven around comfort, not sacrifice. But he listened to the words of Jesus here. He says that following Him will require, at some point, sacrifice. It will require a dying to yourself. The way of Jesus is not safe. It is risky. It'll destroy you in some sense. It'll destroy your old way of thinking, your old way of living. The way of Jesus is risky to your pride. It's risky to your ego. It's risky to your checkbook, to your reputation, to the opinions that others might have about you for following him. Jesus is not crushing their ambition because godly ambition is good ambition. What he's doing is he's redirecting it. He's redirecting their ambition. He's telling them, no, you're aiming too low. Aim higher. You think you'll find your happiness in, 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 in a position for yourself, but no, true happiness, true leadership, true power is found in love and service for others, being willing to suffer in the service of others. He's telling them, aim higher, aim for the glory of God and the good of others. I want you to notice in verse 41 that when the other disciples, the other 10 disciples, when they heard about this conversation, it says that they came and they got mad right? They got mad. They got mad at James and John for trying to call dibs on the most coveted spots next to Jesus's throne. And you said, you know what? Like, that's the thing about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is contagious. It's contentious. It brings about strife. It brings about bitterness. It turns your heart away from God and away from others. You know why? Because it's driven by a fear that we will be insignificant or left behind. But Jesus flips the whole paradigm of thinking on its head and shows that through his death and resurrection, we actually have all the significance that we need. We don't need to find significance in others. We have all the significance we need in him and what he's done for us. And so now we can give out of abundance because of what he's given to us. We can serve in abundance because of the ways that he served us. We don't need to look for significance out there because we look, we, we find it already in, in him. And that leads us to our next point, which is our need to be ransomed. Our need to be redeemed, our need to be ransomed. That is the second deep need that Jesus satisfies. First, for us to be reoriented, but it's also now to be ransomed. We see that in verse 45. It says, even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a what? As a ransom for many. Now, that word, that word ransom here, is a, is, it's a prison term. It's the Greek word leutron, which means to loosen to loosen someone from their chains specifically like a ransom was to buy a captive person out of their captivity like like you you you've heard the concept of a ransom note right like a ransom note is when someone like like when someone has been kidnapped and the kidnapper leaves a note and says you know we'll we'll return this person or we'll return your kid if you pay like a 1 million dollar ransom right like that means that the your child or like the person who was kidnapped they will only be released through paying a big cost, in this case, a million dollars, right? Ransom, a ransom is always a cost. It's always a cost. So when Jesus says that he came to be a ransom for us, he's saying two things. One, he's saying that we are all captive and need to be freed somehow. But two, he's saying that he has come to pay the costly price to set us free. I want us to really briefly look a, take a closer look at both of those. First, is he says that we're all captive. That we're, the fact that he's a ransom means that we're all captive. And that, that's a fact that you need to reckon with. That's a fact that you have to come to terms with, that apart from Jesus, you are not free. The scriptures say that if you're a person who is living in sin apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, then you're not free. It might feel like you're free. But the Bible tells us that, that, isn't, that, that that's sort of like an illusion, right? The Bible says that apart from grace, we are all enslaved by sin, by idols, by the law, and by death. Like, they're all things that we are born captive to. But it says that Jesus came to set us free. He came to release us. He came to ransom us. Now, remember, that word, Ransom, is a, it's a powerful word, word right? That word, that word ransom tells us that Jesus came to pay a costly price to set us free. Ransom implies that a price must be paid, that there is a cost, that Jesus came in our place to pay that cost. This is what theologians historically have called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. You see, in the ancient world, if someone came to set a captive free, there would have to be some sort of legal transaction that happens, right? They would have to take on the payment of suffering themselves. Now, There's a popular saying among preachers sometimes that, that yeah, you may have heard. Like preachers will say, you know, Jesus died on the cross to show us how much, to be an example, just to show us and to display to us how much God loves us. That's why he chose to die on the cross. Like They'll say things like, he stretched his arms out on the cross to say, this is how much God loves you. This is how much I love you. And in some sense, that's true. But man, if that's it, that's a tiny view of the cross. That is a tiny view of the cross. The cross is so much more than a physical love note. It is so much more than just a good example of sacrificial love. The cross of Jesus Christ actually accomplished something. Jesus stood, hung in our place for our sins. He absorbed the judgment of God on our behalf. I saw a headline this week about this woman, I think it was in another country. Um, like this woman who, it, it showed pictures of, of, of her back, and she had these, these giant bruises and cuts and blisters from these, just these giant pelts on her back from sitting hunched over during this massive hailstorm. It had like, the, like pieces of hail that were the size of like a softball falling from the sky, just pelting down on this village. And this woman just uh, was hunched over in this hailstorm and, 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 her, and her back was just destroyed by it. And they had these gruesome, like nasty pictures of her back. Now, if I told you, if you looked at these pictures and if I told you that she did that to just prove a point to her child, that she loves her child, you'd be like, dude, that's kind of crazy, <laughs> right? You'd be like, there are easier ways and probably more appropriate ways to show somebody that you love them. But if I told you the extra detail that her child happened to be a newborn baby, and the reason she was hunched over in a hailstorm was to shield her baby from that storm, then that would mean something else entirely. Her act of love actually accomplished something. Like Jesus on the cross, this woman absorbed the weight of the storm in her baby's place. And Jesus absorbs the storm of God's judgment in our place. Out of love, out of mercy, he paid the great cost. He paid the ransom to free us to himself 20th century theologian John Stott says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. You see, when we sin, when we sin against God, we're putting ourselves in God's place. We're placing ourselves on his throne, which is a place that we don't belong. But when God chose to save us in Jesus he left the seat of his throne, which is a place that he rightfully belongs. And he exchanged that throne for a cross to save us, to be a ransom for us, to pay the great cost that we could never pay and to take it on himself. And this leads us now to our last and final point, which is the third deep need that Jesus satisfies. Our need now to be restored. Our need to be restored. You see, we don't just need our perspective to be reoriented and our, our souls to be ransomed and redeemed, but, but we also need to be restored. Restored. You see, we're not only ransomed and redeemed, we're, we're restored into a loving relationship, an ongoing relationship with God the Father because of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity isn't just about getting saved and forgiven of your past sins, end of story, Right? It's about being forgiven of your sins and being brought into a relationship with Jesus. It's about following of Jesus. That's why the mission of the church that Jesus gave, he, said, told them to, he told the church, he said, make disciples. That is my great commission to you. The mission of the church is to make disciples. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Somebody who's in an ongoing relationship with the one who made you and now desires to make you new. We see this fleshed out in the final verses of our passage in the story of blind Bartimaeus. I'm just going to read this chunk of text from verse 46 to the end. Read it with me. It says, it says they, Jesus and the disciples, they came to Jericho. And as, as he, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he, when when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many of the people around, many rebuked him, it says, telling him to be silent, but he just cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. He says, call Bartimaeus over. And it says, they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, for he, Jesus, is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus asked the same question, you notice? The same question he asked the disciples earlier. He asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He followed Jesus on the way. And I want you to notice a few things here. First, you notice how Jesus asked him the same question, right? Jesus asked him the same question that he asked the disciples. He said, what is it that you want me to do for you? But notice that instead of wanting majesty, like the disciples did, this man was looking for mercy. That's the difference between him and the disciples. Bartimaeus was aware of his condition. He was aware of his deepest need of his condition, that he needed mercy. His deepest need to be made new. He wasn't looking for a high position. He was looking to be set free. Man, are you aware of your condition today? Are you aware of your condition, that your hope for maturity, that your hope for change and for freedom doesn't rest on you or some position of glory, but ultimately on Jesus? This man knew he was blind and without hope unless Jesus came to help him. He knew that was his only hope. His desperation Became a doorway that led him to a God who delivers. You see, sometimes when we are in feelings of desperation, we still focus on ourselves. We wallow in our sin, we wallow in our mistakes, we wallow in our need- neediness. Bartimaeus owned his needy- neediness. But in that, in that desperation, he called out to the only one who could deliver him. I want you to also notice that Jesus responds with mercy. Jesus is merciful. That's why, that's why he cries out for Jesus for mercy in verse thirty in verse forty-seven. Bartimaeus, he 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 even though he couldn't see with his eyes, he spiritually saw Jesus as the only source of God's grace and mercy. That's why he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was an important Jewish title for the Messiah. (coughs) The people of God, they'd been waiting for a rescuer, someone that the prophet said would come from the line of David. And so here Bartimaeus is confessing Jesus as that one, as that Savior who alone can bring healing and wholeness to his broken body. Again, are you aware of your own condition, that apart from Jesus, that you are spiritually blind? That you're in need of salvation, in need of his power. Do you see the compassion and mercy of Jesus the way that Bartimaeus did? The irony here is that Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. But he had more and saw more than those two disciples did. His faith was resolved. His faith was resolved. That's the last thing I want you to notice about him. That Bartimaeus' his faith was resolved. And In verse 44, it tells us that he cried out again and again for Jesus. He did not settle for anything less than Jesus. His faith was a determined faith, even when people were hating on him, even when people were rebuking him, telling him that he needed to shut up. He just cried out more and more. He didn't allow the opinions of others to get in the way. What about us this morning? Like, well, what about you? Like, are what are you allowing in your life that's keeping you from trusting in Jesus today? Like, is it is it the opinions of others, friends, and family? Are the pressures of others keeping you from following Him, following Him honestly, just at, at home or in the marketplace or just out on the block? And when Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? What is your answer? Do you see your need to be reoriented? Your need to be ransomed, redeemed, to be restored? Do you know, do you have a sense of your desperate need for mercy the way that this man did? You see, what this means for us today, what this means for us today is that we need to be a people who live in light of this mercy. We need to be a people who live with an awareness of the mercy that we've received in Christ, who live with the joy and gladness and freedom that comes with knowing Jesus. But it also means that we need to be a people who are marked by mercy too. If we follow the merciful one, the suffering Savior, then man, we need to be merciful too. We need to be willing to serve others, even if it comes at a cost for us, where we seek to influence the people around us, not by power and control and oppression, but by love and mercy and sacrifice. We influence the world around us, not by being a great personality that draws people in, but by going low in service so that people can be lifted up. Some of us naturally have great personalities and that's, that's a good and, 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 gift, and gift from the Lord. I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking like, uh, like you have big and powerful personalities, but I'm saying like if that's what you're chasing after, if, that, if that's where you find your, your hope, if that's where you're trying to get so that you can then like control or lord it over others, then man, you miss missed the point. If that is your identity, then you've missed the point. It's about being willing to suffer for others so that they can be saved. Now, how do we know that Jesus will give us the mercy that we need in our time of desperate need? The answer itself lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It lies in the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, in just just a matter of weeks from this moment, With Jesus and his disciples. In just a matter of weeks, the disciples would see Jesus in glory. Not the glory of a throne, but the glory of a cross. And he's not going to have two cushy seats next to him, but two crosses next to him. And there Jesus hung in our place to receive not the mercy of the Father, but the wrath. He paid the ransom. So that through faith in Him, we won't receive that wrath, but we'll receive that mercy instead. The mercy of God is available to all who repent and believe, who see their desperate need to be reoriented, to be ransomed and redeemed, and to be restored with a relationship with Him. We don't settle like Bartimaeus did, don't settle for anything